Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Queer Quadrant, a podcast where we, two bisexual filmmakers, examine cinema in all its cultural contexts and explore why your favorite four-quadrant blockbuster is maybe not as straight as you think it is. So you know how I'm able to get over the hump of watching something about Hoover or just like thinking about Hoover in general is imagining him as Yogi Bear and he is a giant nostril and is sniffing out communism, homosexuality, the Red Scare. Like that's how he goes around. He's just sniffing through American culture to find out what's bad. What made you what made you decide that that (laughs) the makeup in this because he looks like a goddamn bear or a monster. He does, yeah. Like imagine him, he's on the streets, his nose perks up, I'm face so, to the ground, no. sniffing out things. This is the worst thing that you've ever done. Worst thing I've ever <laughs> said. Wow. <laughs> ever. Wow. Look, it's because we're here together solo and uh I was a little overwhelmed, I would say, by this movie. I was a little taken yeah. aback by some of the choices. I would say. I mean, the uh, I didn't want to just go straight into the old age makeup because I do feel a little bad. But Why? it's so, I don't know. Because <laughs> it's and awful. It's not really the point of the movie. I guess it's not awful. I think it's... No, no, no. To me, it was so distractingly That's... bad that I couldn't enjoy half mm. of the movie. Because all I could think about and look at, especially Army Hammer. It's Arm Armies is uh, <laughs> awful. The fact he doesn't move his neck, it's like he's so right. stiff. He like moves his head like Michael Keaton Batman. It's it's really bad. I'm uh I was was thinking about <laughs> yes. when you were watching this and you just tweeted me a photo of the two of them in their old age makeup but the caption to your photo was like leo getting ready to dick down army hammer and it was just so upsetting um i mean that's 90 percent of this movie it's just like the two of them edging each other but when they're old and like regretting their lives no no no, i like i have so many thoughts about director clint eastwood and like the choices that were made and like i I, there's so much there's so much to unpack i I love it thought this was going to be like an episode that we were just going to kind of like not talk about the movie we this has been on our list since the so beginning. long yes <laughs> um since hi it came out in 2011 we we you weren't so even talking we then. knew that it would that this would change the course of qq oh, history yeah. Oh, yeah. hi <laughs> i'm brooke solomon jordan gustafson i'm not even gonna say that we talk that we like talking about queer cinema oh you don't you don't like talking about this <laughs> i am excited today we are talking about 2011's clint eastwood film j edgar Woo. that's that's what today is about yes um i have nothing well i actually have a lot i have to a say. lot to say that's a lie i am thrilled to t- be talking about this movie about a- an awful terrible person i'll go on the record and say it he's the worst he's awful bad i kind of love biopics about bad, bad people. people i don't know i guess it's like they're they're not done well that often because i feel like usually they want you to like revel in the fact that this was a terrible person mm. so badly but i kind of liked the tone of this where it is kind of a classic biopic but you don't need to sensationalize too much because Mm. he was just the worst yeah i mean i think that's actually one of my major takeaways and also 
not flaws, but like questions I have with the movie is that how, you know, blood thirsty slash bloodless it is because it's sort of taking not like an apathetic approach to it, but it's sort of not making a specific stance and it's really making the audience, you know, you're kind of putting your own onto it because you have like Hoover basically like giving his side to the story. And then at the end, obviously you're seeing him embellishing his own life, but also you're not really getting Clint or Dustin Lance Black's necessary takedown on him. And like for the specific things that they choose to hearken and hone in on, it's not the worst things that he's done, no. even though they're all terrible. Like, no, obviously, this is a movie you know what I mean? mostly about the Lindbergh Which baby case. Insane. <laughs> it's not really about anything else. No. Joseph McCarthy is like mentioned extremely like yes. tangentially. The Lavender Scare doesn't exist. I was going to say, the fact that this movie doesn't even touch on the Lavender Scare with how like what it's about. pertinent yes. the Army Hammer, Leo DiCaprio, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Subplot. I can't call them by their names. Well, sorry. Hoover and Hoover uh, and Clyde Tolson. Like I, f- I feel I don't want to. You know, it's not. It's not them. No, it's the characters. So, but yeah. the fact that the lavender scare is not even mentioned no, yes. is bananas to me. Also, there that weird one illegal wiretapping sex scene has mm-hmm. nothing to do with anything, anything else? else. No. It's mostly about the Lindbergh baby case. It's it's nine. So it's is, it's like bifurcated where you have the Lindbergh baby case and then him dictating to a bunch of boys what his story is as he's getting older and prepared to die. Right. And then you have that one weird MLK scene where he is writing the letter to MLK, you know, threatening him not to accept right. the Nobel Peace Prize. And then it cuts away and that's it. But like, obviously, like there's so much about that. And like, there are... Look, like I will say, I obviously Hoover's a horrible person, but the history within it I always find fascinating just because how much power he had, how pervasive he was through American culture. Like obviously he's a terrible person and should be burning in hell. But Don't up, worry, I'm pretty sure upon, he's there. Oh yeah. Hello. <laughs> I think we're how, good. How you doing down there, you fuck? That always makes me think of there's this one, I think it's a tweet from like a million years sure. ago. Um, where it's like Ronald Reagan in hell waiting for <laughs> <laughs> redemption to trickle down to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. But you know, like it is a fascinating thing. And I mean, like this movie sent me, like I've done so many weird deep dives onto Hoover before in my life. Oh, really? I like, not like into him, but like, I this don't, is, I'm not saying this is like a, hmm, no, Jordan. No, that's but it's interesting because it's sort of like, I have like three, obviously me and you were big history fucking losers. Correct. I love ancient history. That's like my number one with a bullet favorite time period. And then I also love like, 1920s through like 1960 like nine american history just because it's full of so many ups downs awful people and just because there's like so much going on yeah you know what i mean i just find it so fascinating and those are the two i also think like a huge aspect of that for me anyway because i feel the exact same way is that Mm. those are areas that don't really get covered in like the american education system as much like we basically didn't learn about that much shit that happened in the 19 certainly like the 19 post like 45 50s onward which is crazy to me because there's so much stuff that happens from 1952 literally like 1995 i mean and onward no i think it's also because it's like the american education system doesn't know how to talk about america being awful i was gonna say that's like very much a period of history where it's like okay there's not really like there's no world wars going on this is mostly just about like corrupt government people doing insane things like 
yes. the fact that <laughs> you don't get to the civil rights movement in general in the American <laughs> education system, at least when we were in school, yeah. is to still to Crazy. this day the absolutely craziest thing to me. Yeah. It no, differs. Yeah. Maybe there are better school systems than the ones that we went to. I'm actually sure that there are. I'm sure it's but changed a little bit. It's crazy. It's it's regardless. I think you're saying a, a very salient point. And I think that's why I was interested in it because it was never something that was covered. And so like I would dig into history books to be like, oh, what's like COINTELPRO? What are what like what is the lavender scare? Yes. Why was Hoover a terrible person? What is this cross-dressing? Why is he an internalized homophobic prick? You know what I mean? Like there's so much yeah. onto it. And I feel like this movie, there is I, like it's just countless things that it could have dug into and it just feels like it just gave too flat of an approach to everything which is sort of frustrating and I don't think that Eastwood is like a bad filmmaker at all like I no. actually really like a lot of his movies and it's just like in this weird zone where it doesn't have like a necessary take on like the politics or Hoover or anything and especially coming from Dustin Lance Black where he does like this is coming off of milk so you would kind of hope that it would have that something surprised me so much because I don't know there was you know I think that Clint Eastwood directing this adds like a lot of interesting layers because so not only does he famously like love to do one takes with his actors and yes. stuff like that but he is very much a fan of just getting the script and then like shooting whatever draft the writer delivers right. and I was reading that Dustin Lance Black was like uh, that's really not what I expected and it uh, unnerved me a little bit because mm. I really wanted to work with clint eastwood to like improve the script mm. and like you know hear from him what he was most interested in i can't help but respect the hell out of clint eastwood being like script done actors Go. cast movie shot like, well i love the stories so of him funny. where he just like doesn't even say action or cut where he just like goes like okay go yeah and then all right moving on you're like clint are we yeah can i uh, another take <laughs> no nope, okay we're good like I, it's so funny it's to crazy. me he makes movies like he's checking in to his it's accounting like a classic job. Ho like hollywood system i think that also plays into a factor of his politics too in doing research too it was fascinating there was only like one hang-up that he had he was like questioning a black on like certain sourcing things so we talked to a former cia chief leon panetta and then had dinner with former fbi director robert Mueller, which wow. is Mm, a little funny, kind of crazy, if you think about it. Um, but I think it is, long story short, like tying into his politics and like how he is sort of, this movie's not like emblematic of them, but he has like this, he said it before, he's like, I'm socially liberal, fiscally, fiscally conservative, conservative a classic. He did come yeah. out to support like gay rights, like cool ally, Clint Eastwood. But Clint it is, Eastwood. I think that how he approaches cinema and his movies and the politics within his movies, I think are all very much tied together in like a classic Hollywood studio system masculine like we're here we're here to do a job we're moving forward yep. like all these movies are about like people who are doing things in like extraordinary situations like good or bad you look at this especially this like later period run where you have like this Sully what's the bomb one I'm already forgetting the name of it Richard Jewell Richard Jewell <laughs> how could I forget about Richie Jewell the 1517 to Paris you know like all, all of them have a very similar kind of political through line which I I think like lines up with him which i find fascinating and i mean like you have like gran torino and certain things i don't know <laughs> he has such an insane filmography it's so crazy well it's so he's so prolific um yeah. and i was trying to break down like his director filmography into like sections of like interest mm. because he is such like a i don't know we're just gonna shoot the thing which again like i respect yes um but i was like what it it just would 
it's so bananas to me the idea that you would just come on set and be like what are we working with let's okay let's go right and that you would just do that over and over again Rules. so because he has his um he has his like old man movies right you know the mule. a lot the mule cry macho who mm. can forget and then i feel like he has the more traditional like gran torino style oh that's <laughs> me <laughs> and then he has the biopics right where the well he has like jersey boys american sniper same year Damn. and then you have the older ones too where you have like the bridges madison county mystic river million dollar mystic all his fucking westerns river. yeah i do love that like flags of our fathers letters to iwo jima one two <laughs> kind of power play that he did which yeah. is insane yeah and it is that thing where he just has so much clout i think within yeah. the, like the, you know what i mean just because he's obviously like one of our finest stars slash directors ever so we just carry so much weight with him and it's just so fascinating to see what his choices are and how like the movies reflect necessarily like these different parts of his life yeah and obviously he pulls like crazy amounts of talent oh my god yeah um and i think it would be really interesting to to you know work with him as an actor oh, gotcha. um i think like it's generally agreed upon that his best directed movie is unforgiven right I, I mean that's my favorite of his i would say okay, for okay. sure i feel like that's the one where it's like not only is it well directed but like it says everything about, about like him. clint eastwood the man clint yeah. eastwood the director clint eastwood the icon the star yeah, yeah. well like it's because it's like his last big western you know so it really right. is kind of going out on such a a high for him personally mm-hmm. as like an actor and like obviously he still acts and stuff and he will pop up but it feels like oh, the last up it felt like one of those or at least like upon retrospect is like sort of one of those last big Hollywood hurrahs for the Western as a genre. Yeah. Well, he's the, like one of the only people, I guess him and Taylor Sheridan who can get, I'm shocked they haven't collabed <laughs> as if neither of those men would ever the, collaborate too with much anybody of an ego else. For both? Too much ego. Ain't, this town ain't big enough for the book. Uh, this film set ain't honestly, big enough for the book. Clint Eastwood would beat the shit out of Taylor Sheridan. <laughs> I am sure of it. <laughs> Did you read that Clint Eastwood had to help Army and Leonardo on stunting in their fight for this, where they were practicing like their fight when they like the kiss and everything? Yes. And they couldn't get it. And Clint, at 80 years old, is like, I'm going to show you boys how to do it. And he gets down and like wrestles with his stuntman, who's been like his stunt guy for like ever. And he's like 81 on set, showing these two like. 40 to 30 year olds however they all old are are like this is how you do it in the old ways my brother (laughs) (laughs) that's an amazing story it also makes sense because that scene is very uh clumsy i feel like is the best (laughs) way to describe it i don't know there are aspects of i think especially army hammer's performance in this Mm. that i really like but then there are aspects where i'm like you're out of your depth here army hammer i mean listen personal issues aside he's obviously deranged um as deranged probably as this character but i think it's setting him up for failure by putting him in a movie that's run this way against leonardo dicaprio so early in his career like this is obviously he just worked with david venger on the social network notoriously like a punishing director it's imagine going from that to clinton like how much of a relief that must have been god i don't remember which actor it was but this story about like someone story. who was yes. in The Shining with Kubrick and then like had a cl- went directly from that to a Clint Eastwood film. Dick Halloran, forgetting his name, but yes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he like started basically broke down in tears on set with Clint Eastwood when after two takes, Clint Eastwood was like, I guess oh, we're, we're gonna move moving on. on. 
my son. <laughs> and I imagine Army Hammer maybe had a similar experience. Although it just it just kind of feels like he's unprepared yeah. for in some of these shots, which no, he yes. probably was. Well, it's like the camera starts rolling and he's like, oh shit. Okay, oh, like, here we're we go. Going. We're playing. Yeah. yeah. But I actually really like, I think like my favorite aspects of his performance are before everything goes to shit when he like believes that they're in love mm-hmm. and like basically getting yeah. away with this. He's good. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily bad in this. I think, honestly, <laughs> which is shocking, I think Leo does give a very good performance when he's young. I think the issue which you were hinting so at when, they, when it goes old is I think it's both an editing thing and an acting thing where they don't change the voice that they're doing between when they're younger and older. So you have Leo at... 30 playing young Hoover trying to find the Lindbergh kid. And then you have Leo <laughs> at 85 and th- like they're doing the same voice and the same mannerisms. Yeah. So you're getting this like weird whiplash on in terms of tone and acting where it just doesn't feel coherent. Yeah, I completely agree. I honestly think that because I assumed that it would be more of like a every 10 years we're going to check in with them, but mm. it kind of is like two totally separate timelines. Yeah. And I think it would be so much better if honestly they had cast different actors. For a different, I understand yeah. why you don't want to do that. If you have Leonardo DiCaprio, you're not going to make him like do this weird split card billing thing. But I, they're so old. They're too old. It's bad. I feel like something's going on with his eyes too when he's older. It looks like his like pupils okay. are like so big and so black. So for whatever reason, they gave him like really, really dark brown or black contacts. Mm, I noticed it okay. the second that he appeared on screen because he has such baby blues usually. Right. And I was like, I really don't think that anyone is taking issue with J. Edgar Hoover's eye color, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. But I actually do think, although I love Leo, mm. I would say that he's miscast in this movie. He the accent bad. Mm, Clearly, the eye color was such a big issue. I just issue. don't think he can do accents though that well. Yeah, he, it's not good. It's really it, but it's so it seems to get better as the movie goes along. Mm. But especially maybe I just you know got used to it. But it's so jarring at it's the really beginning. Jarring when he starts, yeah. Um, and you know he can do he can do the big yelling monologues. Oh, of course. I, it's Leo, of course. But I don't know. I was just like it felt like he again. It kind of feels like he's just trying to keep up a little yeah. bit, which is so rare that you see that from a Leo performance. Yeah. Um, he's usually extremely in command. Well, it's also th- like this coming after Inception and then going from this to Django, Gatsby, and Wall Street. It's just such a weird This is a weird outlier. outlier. Because yeah. it doesn't feel like it's sort of like earlier pre-Inception where it was like that body of lies era. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like he's not quite in that these weird transition periods for him where he's trying to figure out what director and what avenue to put himself in. And so this one feels like an Oscar play, but also trying to be super serious. And it's just like off a genre movie. So, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't work as well. It just doesn't feel like, not that he doesn't have a read on this character, but that he doesn't have a command on this character. Well, I think it might be a read on the character. Like I do wonder if it's because it's like not so crystal clear about like there were quotes when they were talking about the queerness and like they all sort of like talk a little bit around it and how like they don't necessarily like say that he's explicitly gay or not like Eastwood never says it okay uh, he never he says literally it literally says I'm not interested in dancing least of all with women oh no no I don't oh, mean, you on mean screen. I mean like the people behind the scenes yeah yeah yeah. It. like Clint yeah. has this quote where he was like whether uh he was gay remains to be seen but he and Clyde were inseparable buddies was that because he didn't trust anybody else or was it a love story 
you know, yada, yada, yada. They're gay. I'm sorry. Like, Oh, I mean, <laughs> for sure. Why? Like, without a doubt. Are you talking around it? Um, there's, I mean, cause I was looking, you know, when we decided that we were going to cover this movie, God knows why. I was like, I feel like I should know what kind of like is the agreed upon record versus what's going to be in sure. the movie. And it's the same thing where it's like, we'll never know. Yeah, exactly. We know. Like, I mean, that's, it's like that <laughs> conversation we were having either off mic or on mic, I don't know anymore because all of our conversations are blending together. It's but when true. we were talking about Blonde and how it's about like with biopics and how biopics are getting slammed for either not being super accurate to what we know or versus like making things up. And this is an example where uh, the movie would have supremely benefited from making stories or whatever up about them. And I mean, like I think one of the strongest moments in the movie is with Judy Dench where she is talking to him and is a horrible homophobic person and she says like i don't want any I'd my son to be a daffodil a dead yeah. son than a daffodil one. which is insane but it's Ouch. like that is a conversation that we don't know whether or not that happened or things like that but like it informs so much of his character and then it leads you to go on to be like oh right so the lavender scare and all of his actions were from like such deeply internalized homophobia and he's so scared of himself that he doesn't know what to do and so he's lashing out at all of these other minorities yeah yeah, and here's the thing. If you bequeath your entire estate to another man <laughs> and then are buried next to him... Just a few feet away. I'm going to draw my own conclusions. Right, yeah. It's fine. Rock it's all good. Occam's razor. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Occam's gay razor. It's okay, Occam's yes. gazer. Ooh, very nice. Thank you. And I think that, like, you know, to speak to the original point about the take on the character and sure. kind of, like, how that all is part of the soup i just think so okay i was trying to figure it out and i don't really know but is this the only time that leonardo dicaprio has like played an explicitly queer character well we've covered him before i know we've covered him but like let's go this is very different no brooke i think this is a very good point i think we should go through his filmography real quick i'm giving a scan um just because we've covered him you know in leo's eyes in the, the eyes of a man looking to get into into like this character. Um, I what mean, are we Gatsby, saying? but no. Gatsby, no. Departed, I would say no. D- despite what we know is true. Titanic, a little by. But like, no. No, no. Yeah. So this is, I would say, yeah, this is probably the first time he's played an explicitly gay character. And I think that like, as he, like as someone who is one of the biggest movie stars in the world, mm. potentially has... Some image issues mm. needing to date 23 year olds constantly. Let's just say it. It, I don't know. Mm. I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but I think that, like, for a lot of actors, playing a gay character is a really big thing sure, in their careers. Course. I mean, for spent men, especially I mean, yeah. specifically men. And I think, like, not necessarily something that they need to check off, but something that, like, if it comes along, like, this better be, like, monumental i mean you look at milk for sean penn i think is a very clear one-to-one with if we're just looking at like within the confines of this movie i think too about like uh the upcoming leonard bernstein biopic Mm. and like that for bradley cooper i'm Um, excited unfortunately um i will see i want to see i like bradley cooper director yeah i know but like I don't know. It's just such a weird... It reminds me kind of of this, where it's yeah. like... Well, he's been wanting uh, to do it for so long, which I think is why I'm oh, fascinated the, by the it. the feud between him and Jake it, Gyllenhaal uh-huh. over who was getting the life we rights. We have to stand, um, yes. But it, no, I, I yeah. see what you're saying. And I think I think it does... It just feels like there's too much... Weirdly, pressure. there's too much pressure yes. to... 
have to play this character as someone who is like, you know, for all intents and purposes, a closeted gay man. And it feels like the pressure just overwhelms him a little bit. And you're dealing with all of the other stuff, like the old age makeup and the accent Mm -hmm. and covering so much ground, even though it doesn't actually cover that much ground, but like covering a large span of a man's life. Right. I don't know. No, I agree. I think it's, I think he does get a little drowned out by the movie. I think, the coloring of the film also sort of drowns out this in is, like it's like sepia toned basically it's crazy. <laughs> it looks like sludge and i he did this i actually don't hate it because it's pretty stylized it, no it's yeah. stylized no that's the thing is like he did this with gran torino he did this with this with richard jewell there's like this spread that he's in where his coloring has just been a little intentional like this and i don't think i like well, it even sully is like super super it blue is, yeah. and gray mm-hmm. um yeah and it's weird because westerns are pretty colorful or at least like very you know like bright i think it's him coming in with the digital lensing because mm-hmm. if you look at like unforgiven or his other stuff there is more color and it sort of feels like a more classical hollywood grade whereas this feels sort of that like when things in the 2000s when digital technology took over they sort of adopted this very specific style of coloring and i don't like it and for a lot of i feel like period movies during that time they would shoot the period things like we were you know looking through through an old lens lens to the past type of thing with like so much like haloing and stuff like that and i i see a lot of that in this movie yeah it's just that's the whole movie though it doesn't like let up no it's not really a stylistic and it like blends together because it is so much and i think because of the countless time jumping and his narration and stuff like that you sort of don't get lost but it just sort of things blend together more Mm -hmm. which is a little frustrating because you know as we were saying it does hope focus on Lindbergh, and maybe the thing is and I think this with most biopics is that it would be me more successful if it focused on like one event or one thing specifically versus trying to cover so much and by bifurcating the plot, you're ending up kind of splitting, but then also he wants to like introduce so many or hint towards all of these major events that also build up to his life and his legacy. I think it would be super interesting if this was actually just a movie about the Lindbergh baby case yeah. and we had sort of like you, you know, you cheat the timeline a little bit to have the horse races argument happening right. like at the exact same time because that's already like at least probably 50 to 60 percent of the movie is everything around that case and there's a lot of elements that do tie really closely to the case like Mm. um uh steven root's character when he popped this is a movie about guys so many you're just pointing out people you're like hey josh lucas i remember you and mr burn notice wait no He's Mr. Lost, and then Jeffrey Donovan is, is Mr. Mr. Burn Notice. Yes. Dennis O'Hare is also there. Can Love always it. count on a good character actor. Like, there's, you have the start. I just think they they should have committed to like making everything like crunched around that yes, one I agree. case. We don't need the forward time jump. Like, we really don't. No, I mean it doesn't add anything too. Like with the revolving cabinet of young boys that come in to you know right. write down his story, it doesn't really bring anything other than the last guy who's black the last agent and you can see him starting to question the legacy of hoover which is good but you don't actually really dig into it at all and it's sort of just a subtext thing which is nice but i wish that there was more there it, this you know? movie i in my opinion does a very good job questioning hoover's legacy oh, like for sure by itself it doesn't need to lampshade it no. with other characters (laughs) well yeah that's the thing is that the only i think like the only benefit of of the ghostwriters or that like yes he likes to basically self-mythologize and also that he likes to hire hot young boys men to write his 
exploits for him. But like, again, I think that we get that in the scene where he like fires any FBI agents who like don't fit his physical standard. Um, Not included in this film is that he also fired most of the women Women. who were, you know, in non-secretarial positions. Shocking. Awesome. Sexist, racist. <laughs> no, he's the worst. Homophobic. Like he's obviously he's, the worst. He's a good checklist of bad things to be. And I think that, like, you know, to me, it's very interesting to frame a notoriously like terrible figure mm. in American history, like from a script by a a gay man. I wanted to talk about this. Yes, essentially, only writes biopics about, about gay, gay men in yes. history. Yep. Um, to like frame that with there being such a large subplot about his relationship with Tolson, because truly like that relationship is the emotional through line. Mm -hmm. There's so much more of it than I expected there to be. And it's the, it's the primary core of the film. Yeah. It's like, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I don't know. I find Dustin Lance Black to be really interesting because I really am, am sort of fascinated by all of his screenwriting like choices I agree. and sort of where he grew up and all of this stuff. Um, have you watched any of under the banner? Of I have. Okay. Have you watched all of it? No. Okay. I also haven't watched all of it. So <laughs> shame. I, it's a mutual shame. I do love though the start of it. And I really think that Garfield is making a lot of interesting choices. And I think it feels so personal for Dustin based on like reading about him and everything. Mm-hmm. And he, in interviews making this movie was talking about working on that next. And this was in 2011. So he's been working on this for he's been trying to so make that long for so long. That's like, it's like his passion Baby, project yeah. basically. But I just, I think that like, that is basically a an outlier in his writing filmography it really because is. he mostly just writes biopics, biopics. of gay polit- or gay yes. or queer political figures like the, when the we next rise thing right yeah exactly um it was about lgbtq like, plus civil uh, history, rights yeah like everything 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 obviously milk is the most famous but like Do you even like before milk? that um i in general two percent hopefully a whole battery <laughs> i actually hate milk as a drink mm. i am an I mean, oat milk as you should stan of course i think they would revoke my uh bisexual card if i was like i love i love whole, whole milk, milk. <laughs> give um, me all that dairy i actually really like milk i remember watching it and really enjoying it because it's very um um, I, it was gayer than I expected out of like a traditional biopic. And I feel like the same goes for this. Obviously this is like in a completely different framework, mm. but I think that like that is where Dustin Lance Black excels in my opinion is being like that that's going to be like the emotional core of the movie. It's not going to be about like the things that he, that this man did. And then also he was gay. It's going to be about how like those two things like inform each other. I agree. And that's what we want. Yeah. Obviously playing to the crowd here, but I'm very excited to see his upcoming movie. Ooh, Rustin. So he's, he's writing it. George C. Wolf is directing the Obamas are producing. Oh, um, this one. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And it's about, um, gay civil rights activist, right. Bayard Rustin played by Coleman Domingo. I'm so ready because the Oscar. I love Coleman Domingo. Um, he's gay IRL. Please come on the pod. So that's like a huge win, I feel yeah. like, to be playing a gay civil rights leader. I think that's actually and it's, important. I would love if it was just like this big, like, Oscar-y, like, Push, Dustin Lance yeah. Black wrote this to get him an like Oscar. Like, Milk 2.0. Like, that would make me so happy if we could do the Milk 2.0 run, but with Coleman Domingo. I and agree. not. Sean Penn. Sean Penn. In retrospect, I think I do like Milk. I don't remember a lot I of it because I was really liking it. Yeah. I saw it so long ago. The big thing I do remember, which is kind of fucked up, and I 
in an episode full of terrible people is that I really <laughs> did like James Franco's performance in it. It's which a pretty is, good performance. Because it felt like he's actually, it was one of the things where he felt like he was trying, which he, is such a rarity. And he's quite good in it. Yeah. And I, so I found like that in the tenderness and like sort of the emotionality from what I remember. Look, I saw the movie a long time ago, but I did, I think, like it when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's, as with him, it's so just it's interesting seeing this gay screenwriter writing about these gay things in such a big splashy oscary way and like it's yeah. very rare for us to have that and for him to be out and then i think the contrast is like this gay screenwriter working with clint eastwood who is like you know a republican even though he has like done liberal things in some of his movies i think also counteract the politics that he sometimes tries to eschew yeah which like, i think is also so fascinating cry macho is literally about how masculinity will kill you like break you <laughs> essentially. Yeah, yeah i think it's like listen i think that you know given that what we were mentioned with blonde and what we've talked about in a huge variety of episodes the idea of like being able to let the film and the filmmaker be messy yeah. even if that gets you into a little bit of like you know collar pulling like right. territory i think that clint eastwood is actually a really good example of that because like i don't know for the most part when it counts he's managed to remain in everyone's good graces like you said he like spoke out like for gay rights and shit like that socially liberal fiscally conservative right he's kind of just like a grumpy old man who lives in the woods it's fine it's okay and i think that like if he wants to dig into that dichotomy through his movies power to him like Like, let's do it go for it and i mean like there was irreparable damage to our country from american sniper yes i agree (laughs) but like is it really his fault a little bit a little bit like it's not entirely maybe i should hold him a little accountable for that as well (laughs) and that baby that i mean that's just that's just a movie that i will never really understand it just feels like again i don't know maybe we're sensing a pattern here that feels like a movie that got away from all the creative forces behind it and yeah. it was just like oh god like i think it got into the hands of the wrong people this train right. this american sniper train yeah um but I, yeah. yeah i don't know it's like but for example in j edgar apparently allegedly mm. both leo and army were like oh shouldn't this should be more explicit and mm. Clint Eastwood was like no that's okay which makes sense. But again, it's like if that's if he's basically taking Dustin Lance Black's like studio draft and being like, we're going to picture in right. three weeks, then you don't have time for any of those conversations and trying to work out like what your talent wants, what the you know, what the writer like intended versus like maybe where they want to take it. If they right. were like holding back, waiting for the director to come in, because like that happens a lot of the time. So I just like you said, this is done in a very old school studio way, but like without like weirdly without being studio noted to yeah. that. Well, I think it's so crazy, too, because, like, there was the making of where it's basically, I mean, like, Brian Grazer is trying and trying to make this movie with Dustin and whatever they write, and they're not able to get any studio, and they literally bring it to Clinton. It's, like, that automatic green light just because of who he is, and they are, like, they have the go. Yeah. And, like, to have it that quick, as you're saying, like, to turn around and then to be going into production, I think it's just, like, a very rushed emotional thing, no matter how much time you may have spent on the script, et cetera. I don't know. It's fascinating. And I mean, like, I think there's just a lot to pick through here in general with a lot of different things. If we're talking about, like, the cast and stuff, I think the Naomi Watts casting is also super fascinating. Okay. Hot. I don't know if this is a hot take. I think she's pretty excellent. I think she's the best actor in the entire movie. Yeah. I think she crushes it. I think she crushes it. And I also... She also also looks the best as the only makeup. Yeah. She looks great. It's because women are under more pressure to age gracefully, Jordan. Mm, mm. 
I also think that uh, I didn't realize how exciting it would be to see a movie with one female character, or, you know, it's her and Judy Dench, but a conventionally young, attractive female character who is not, A, the love interest, mm-hmm. or kind of, like, gets shoehorned into being the love interest out of convenience. Right. Because I kind of feel similar about the imitation game, but then there's, like, this whole weird third act thing where Keira Knightley's like, I will marry you if that's what you want. Like, let's make it happen. Um, and I think that, like... I don't know. Naomi Watts' character, in my opinion, is extremely well written in this yes. movie, and that she's scene also in the a terrible Library person. Of Congress. Yeah. Oh, hmm. take me on a first date to the Library of Congress. Thank you. Show me the way that you've reinvented this organization system. I would say, you know, he's very deep in hell, but maybe we can bump him slightly up one layer for popularizing the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> for how much he did for certain organizational <laughs> because things. We do love that and then in for, theory we do love his organization but then we also hate to see him collecting all of these things oh yeah i know i, I do i do think though like in the first scene of the well no let's keep talking about I, it, naomi Watts. i was gonna say we'll get back I, to it. I, that yeah. scene that i think she also crushes though is when hoover does die and when she is like burning everything yeah. you're sh- shedding everything and you just see her face and like you know that she has just been on this ride for him for so long and just never once said anything and to be so complicit in it and like to like i just want to like know how that weighs on her you know she feels like a complicated character even though she's a very passive character like she kind of just does what she's told Mm -hmm. to do but naomi watts excellent actress great i think she's like one of those weird actors where it's like she should have had such a larger career than like she's obviously a star point blank but she should have been a bigger star and you look at the shots that she has had and none of the big moments have ever either like connected or her pivots after it haven't been the right ones it's always like naomi watts i feel like we all agree we're just like oh naomi what are you doing girl again (laughs) because like king kong should have made her like a superstar and you have mahal and drive and like she has the ring you know she has so many of these movies but she she always just like shows up in these super anonymous movies um and but like she crushes everything like you look at like oh she's in like funny games she's amazing and she's she's, so good in funny games one of the only good parts of i heart huckabee is a movie i think should burn in hell (laughs) i Um, can't believe you've seen that it's so bad i don't heart it but then like the book of henry girl naomi what are we doing she shows up in birdman remember that when she just is there and you're like wait why is Naomi Watts like a tertiary character in Birdman? Mm-hmm. And like even her, like she was in the Infinite Storm this year, which is some Sorry, what disaster. It's some, di- you know how I know this because it takes place in New Hampshire. Um, uh, <laughs> it's her and Billy Howell, um, sure. and it's like a, a drama adventure film about some people who uh, hike to the top of Mount Washington, which is very you know dangerous if the weather is bad and they get stuck up yeah, there. Yeah, but if you do it during the summer, you can do it in a day. She's doing it in the winter though. Why would you want to do it in the winter, uh, dude? I don't know. I haven't seen the movie but it does take place in new hampshire so my washington's nice i do like it yeah it's great um anyway (laughs) so yes naomi watts deserves better mall and drive is probably my favorite Uh, for her i mean i was for you yes for For me me, king kong (laughs) talk about a performance baby (laughs) i love that movie i don't think i've ever seen it it's so good i'll put it on the list it's so good um if we want to move on to other casts i just want to rattle through and shout out some of the supporting people who jumped to me a lot of guys mr adam driver's first on screen (laughs) performance feature debut did you like i had to rewind to like actually catch him i made the mistake of looking at the imdb because i was trying to figure figure out who one of the actresses in the um uh ginger rogers scene was Uh, didn't recognize her but then i was like adam driver and then he appeared and i was like 
It's Adam uh, Driver. Yeah. This was, he was already in Girls at this time, right? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. This was his film debut. So film he might debut. have done TV. Look yeah. at him go. But then like, as we were saying, like Leah Thompson, I do like as uh, Leela Rogers. I like think that scene yeah. <laughs> at the dinner is so fascinating and how like it again deals with queerness within like a public space and like their comfort or lack of comfort with each other. Jessica Hetch, I always botch her last name, H-E-C-H-T, whatever. Yeah, it seems correct. She is great when she shows up. And like Caitlin Deaver apparently pops up as a child. Yeah, I didn't I didn't clock her. But I didn't also either. there's this uh, girl, Emily Ann Lind, who's now on the Gossip Girl reboot, who uh, plays Shirley Temple. And I was like, I cool. wonder if that oh. girl who plays six-year-old Shirley Temple is like an actress I recognize. And it was. That, so. I, <laughs> that Shirley Temple scene is fascinating. Weird. It's really weird. <laughs> You're like, it's so random. Why are you trying to get a kiss on the cheek so hard, sir? I don't so like he this. Can, no, no, no. It's, it's so, a publicity thing. Yes. Yes. So he can appear like one of the common one of the people. He's like, mm, look at me. Oh, everything about him is so vindictive. Like this man has zero empathy for anybody else. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um. Speaking of cast, the last thing I want to say is that Scott Eastwood was apparently up for one of these ghostwriter <laughs> roles and didn't get it, which is hilarious because I imagine Clint being like, no. no. <laughs> you are my son. Don't you dare get on my fucking uh, set. One of his other sons, Kyle Eastwood, though, composed the music for the film. With Clint. Didn't Clint do the music, yes, though, too? Yes, Clint apparently. Yes, he does score for a lot. Movies. It rules. He has scored. This is so insane. I love he it. Has scored mystic river yes million dollar baby uh-huh. flags of our fathers grace is gone changeling who f- who can forget that movie hereafter and jay edgar i that's so it's about to be a hot take that i remember i think liking changeling um i've never seen it but i think that you know again it's like it's an angelina vehicle it's so rare that we get the angelina vehicles exactly. now I think that's that why every I like time it. i see her i'm like let's go girl i think i like it because the you mystery, take that stolen baby that's exactly i was like mm, i love the mystery here Ooh, swapped it Who's is she gonna? What's happening? It's a crazy woman. I love it. I don't know. It does it end up being supernatural? I don't remember. No, no, it's oh. just depressing. Ooh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen. Between that, the American Sniper baby and the fucking Lindbergh baby in this, we, are we seeing got a common theme? Happen not happening like i love that he uh, didn't cast scottish but that's actually so funny i don't know if he intentionally was like no <laughs> but, <laughs> but just was like mm, sorry son <laughs> i wonder if he even knew that his son was auditioning or if like his son like told him right. afterwards can you imagine the casting director being like who's this kid get out of here right and clint's like oh that's my boy that's my fucking son god um <laughs> i do think that the only person who might actually be miscast is judy dench i feel like it's a little bit of a weird performance i don't love I didn't it mind it i thought that she was uh eviscerating in her homophobic monologue i mean that's the best scene for her i it is i don't know i think that a lot of these like mothers of famous figure roles end yes. up being so doting and yeah. so like my boy oh, he lives at home with his mom right uh, you know this woman is the most important person right. in my life like i don't need a spouse because i have my mother so there's definitely elements of that but then like i think like that scene that we were talking about is the best reversal of that because she's not particularly cold the rest of the movie right um but that's when she's like listen it's not that you won't sh- struggle or something like that it's that i fucking hate you right like it's not out of protection no no and she like forces him to dance with her and all this stuff yeah it's gross don't yeah. like it yeah i think that you know we stand having a complicated relationship yeah. with your mother i oh, don't yeah. know if we stand it but 
Um, well, I don't know. Well, Cause then it it's like that a... the cross-dressing scene right. is very complicated. Cause that I feel like is like very rumor mill land, it is. but there's so much yeah. that we'll never know because right. of him and his shredding of documents. Well, and there's yeah. so many layers of secrecy surrounding what Hoover did in his private life that right. it's not, you know, the rumor mill is there for a reason, but right. also there was like, I mean, Hey, self-inflicted because the lavender scare, but there's so much fear mongering about like what gay people do and do not like to do during this right. time. And it's like, sir, you created this problem right. for yourself. Right. But then, you know, if you're writing or directing this, you have to deal with kind of like the implications of like, okay, well, what are we saying about this, this scene in particular? Exactly. And yeah. I mean, I think it is just fascinating because it's like, it doesn't dig into the queerness, I think enough about like his image where there was like, like his ties with the mob where he didn't ever really crack down on the mob because apparently they either A, had photos of him with arm with army jesus <laughs> but like like you know implicated photos that could really spend, send him down so he didn't right. and he struck a deal but then there's the whole horse racing thing as well where they apparently sat in boxes that were mostly owned by like gay people and you know there's just like so much that like it should have done a little bit more where you can see like it's just on the outside of these things where you're like just investigate if you're going to make it about him being queer let's dig into all of the actual queer moments or like these queer things and how they built to create this man who was so terrified of being himself that he had to lash out so much right that he ended up like torpedoing not just like his own, his own life, life but, but the lives of else. future generations right right um like, yeah literally and literally it, it seems to be that you know the creative team wanted it to be like okay we're gonna you know we're gonna draw some conclusions but for the most part what we want to include should be the things that we like know to be confirmed like yeah. the mlk thing that or how much hoover like self-mythologized about his Zone. actual yeah. like involvement in arresting everything people. yes yeah which is why i assume there was so much focus on the Lindbergh baby case because that case was so publicized right and it was so much of him thinking that he's like being the leading person where like right. Lindbergh wasn't actually caring about these things etc and there wasn't a lot of circumstantial evidence mm -hmm. etc yeah and i think it's really smart to have that be the frame like i said to be the framework to bring in like the documents expert the wood expert yeah. fingerprints i think one of the best scenes is when they show up to the Lindbergh's house and they're talking about like the 12,000 different ways the local cops have you know fucked up you know compromised the crime scene because yeah. to me that is the probably the most like strictly interesting like oh I completely hmm, agree aspect of like what hoover did for america in a way that like is not explicitly good or explicitly bad just is like a sense of progress in right. terms no. of but technology changing how you collect evidence literally yeah. no yes and like wow like you know obviously fbi cia all these intelligence agencies are bad but like i think the way that you know you look at forensics and like actually like figuring out crime yeah i think is interesting and fascinating and how fucked and bad it was so like not many years ago that's you know what thing, i mean like that's cool is that it's hilarious to me that to think that you could rob a bank in 1920 and if nobody could identify who you were you're good. Like by name, right. you could get away with it right. for the rest of your life. And what sort of like you said, forensic and like technological leaps were made in terms of like, how do we catch people based on what's left behind? Right. It's so interesting. Exactly. The way that he portrays him, it's that back and forth where it's not telling you to be sympathetic, but it is painting him in a somewhat sympathetic light at times. I don't know 
know if sympathetic. Not well, sympathetic, but you like you. It's not because there's definitely the at, at towards the end. It's definitely telling you like you know he's not great, but it's not saying he was sympathetic. But like, it's not painting him as the worst person ever. And like obviously, like there's a lot of nuance to him, but it's not. I don't think as cutting as it should be. I don't think that that's a problem. In my that's opinion, fine. no, that's fine. I just guess I wish it was more cutting because just I think I'm but- more. But, 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 listen, yeah. I don't think we need to debate the morality no, of Jake I, or Hoover in general, yeah. but this is, like, exactly what we were talking about with, like, a biopic should maybe not be as clear-cut right, as exactly. we wanted like to Like, murky, be. yeah. Yeah, that's why I kind of like how much the Hoover-Tolson relationship is pushed towards the forefront mm. because, like, again, it, it is about the audience drawing a lot of their own conclusions. Yeah. I think a straightforward kind of like depiction of like, here's a series of events. You tell me like what you think about this. Right. I, I mean, that's honestly fine. I yeah. prefer where I think it, the movie fails or could like just get it together a little more <laughs> <laughs> is, um, not really like covering the full scope of what Hoover did. Right. Like it, it's leaving out so much to right. push forward because I, I think like there's you know no question that he changed the course of like aspects American of American history, history. Yeah. so I think like again with the Lindbergh case you're seeing a lot of that you're seeing the actual steps that he made and you can be like oh huh we identify people by their fingerprints now right oh he's talking about having a social security number that's yeah. crazy but you're missing like all of the red scare and the lavender scare the lavender scare thing is really what blows my mind you know just because like even though it wasn't like headed by him but obviously like there was he was heavily obviously with cohen and mccarthy and it's like those two men also specifically had a lot of like internalized homophobia because they were most likely gay yeah roy cohen is right so interesting exactly and it's like why not if we're going to have this movie be about, you know, this queer relationship, why not also then contrast that with this queer fear and panic that's going on at the same time. And then that, how that like impacts the community for so long. Like it just feels like Lance black is obviously a smart person. Yeah. And I think he's a strong writer, but it just feels like this interesting thing to the side that I think would have just elevated the movie a little bit more. Like if it was, if the queer relationship is the forefront, why not then have the movie be about, his queer attacks everything that like was directly tied to to the fact that he was in like a decades-long relationship with a man right when they can never be seen publicly exactly yeah yeah like it just it's just interesting you know i agree i agree i don't know um also far too much too much page space in the first 30 minutes of this movie dedicated to him trying to name himself J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, my God. I oh was. my God. Luckily, when he writes it that and goes it's like, away wow. real quick. But I was like, what in the goddamn J. Edgar fuck? Solo. <laughs> <laughs> it is exhausting. I don't get why they do so it. So annoying. I don't like. The, also, if we're like talking about things that we that bump, I the FDR stuff feels in like the the RFK, JFK thing. The one I find the most interesting is the JFK, RFK dynamic. If we're going to talk about blackmail, like specifically, I think when JFK dies and he calls RFK and he's like, the president has been like shot and then hangs, and hangs up, up and knows that by doing that and not telling him if he's dead, alive, what happened, that it's sort of a threat almost because it's like, did we do it? Did someone else do it? And it makes obviously RFK 
like bend the knee to him right which i think is so interesting and it's like you again it's that thing where it's like it's just a hint of something that's so interesting and i want more of it versus just like a sliver it's giving me like three minutes of some interesting context without actually like delivering on the the promise of a, a premise of yeah. a subplot yeah and i think it's interesting that they include that because it's like hmm the fbi's involvement in presidential right. assassinations but doesn't actually include the mlk assassination right. not that i maybe right. need to see 20 minutes on no that. you're but, spot on though i mean <laughs> the classic deleted jabuki tweet just because we killed mlk doesn't mean that we can't miss him yes same yes. goes for jfk you gotta write that in there forgot, they forgot to have that in there <laughs> okay also every time they were talking about gangsters and leonardo dicaprio said machine gun kelly with a straight face it's upsetting it was i yeah. felt like i was being rocketed like out of the film and into pop the culture of los angeles i'm like i don't need to think about this man yeah, anymore exactly. than I do. um but so yes again I, look, the man just did too much bullshit it's such an insane career and we're kind of saying like you know it would be better one way or the other where right. it's only about this one specific case and you're just kind of like that that's all that you get yeah you know either all or nothing which i feel like is so often a biopic problem is they're like okay it's not about everything right but it's not about one not thing. one th- exactly when you're towing the line between multiple things or one thing then it just feels half-baked and yeah. not emotionally satisfying. Yeah, but I completely understand it because, you know, especially now with, well, whatever, biopics have always been popular, but it feels like you, there's a very extensive approvals process that you need to go through for right. most with people. The yeah, <laughs> the estate of J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, Did you read about, there was like, Clint said that they, you know, talked to the Hoover state and wouldn't portray his queerness, or sorry, his homosexuality in a way and like got the sign off, but then like did it. So I do kind of respect that where he (laughs) kind (laughs) That's a baller move. Which I kind of respect where it's like, I think, I think that comes with Eastwood and like basically him being, you know, saying that he's a Republican and all like, I'm sure that that, you know, gave some credence to Hoover's family and like having them trust or like estate rather right Um, i mean that's also like really good fuck you energy yes yeah it's um and it's it is very explicit like i don't think that this was actually really interesting to talk about just kind of like in qq framework terms because it's it's setting up to be very clearly like oh these men are in love and then it follows through and then it's about like their regret or specifically Hoover's regret over not having to have been able to like reckon with that part yeah. of himself. And I was like, this is, I mean, this is like what we want. Yeah. This is what I, you have the buildup. You have the like, Hmm, what's going on here? You right. have the follow through and then you have kind of like the fallout. Yeah. And I mean, I love their introduction with each other. Like I think, well, one, the first intro where he's like eating and you're obviously catching like certain glances, but I love the interview where fucking hammer comes in and Leo is doing like pushups and all that whole sequence so where he iconic. has his desk raised with <laughs> yeah. fucking books and, you know, Army opens the window because he's like, oh, don't you want the window open after you just worked out? Mm-hmm. Certain things like that where it's like a little flirty and you're picking up on all these cues and you actually really buy into this being like an actual emotional attachment that these men will have forever because you're seeing sort of like this back and forth flirting. Mm-hmm. But then everyone like rejects anything that the men do like when he gets the new suit he's not no one's like complimenting him or he's not getting like the flattery that he thinks will come with it so you can see like how that then gets into his brain there's just so many cutting moments and that early forming of the relationship where you can see how it forms this insecure man yeah and there's kind of the idea that like 
you know, even we don't we don't know if the first time they kiss is actually the first time. That, oh no, yeah, I guess we do know, but like they hold hands like three times. So in this much, movie. yeah. So there's clearly like a degree of physical intimacy, and there's like the I think that that's why it kind of makes sense. Even though the the hotel scene is kind of confusing to me because the construction of it doesn't really make sense and like the emotional like ups and downs don't really make sense, but it make it does make sense that Tolson is so upset because there's clearly like a pre-established yes. um you know situation between the two of them. They're holding hands right. I in mean, the back of a car. Right. Const- I mean there was like a constant well, they, they, the back of the car thing there was like a report I forget who said it where like a cabbie was like, "Oh yeah, I saw the two of them macking like in the back of a car." But then like they were constantly holding hands in public yeah. and stuff. So it's like they were clearly in a relationship. Clearly. And like it's just taboo cuz people were so fucking scared of him because of all the power that he would wield and how you could ruin your fucking life. Yeah. And so the the pivotal hotel scene, which yes. is when they stay over at the horse races, as you must. First of all, the scene Saving when some money. the scene when Hoover is inviting Tolson to the horse races, I think, is probably the best constructed dialogue scene, and that mm. feels like very Dustin Lance Black being like, "How do we like imply things without explicit? How do how would these men imply things to each other without right. saying it?" Where it's like. I can't accept that. That's too much. We need to save some money. Oh, I can get us adjoining rooms instead of two separate ones. That'll save some money. Are you satisfied? Like, will that make you come? Right. Mm? Wink. Um, And it does. Yeah. So, but uh, the pivotal hotel room scene involves Hoover basically being like, um, so I asked this woman to marry me. Was wondering what you thought about that. How do you feel? Tolson, we probably just fucked, but is that okay? Is that okay? Tolson not only breaks a glass, but also a lamp and then another glass. And mm-hmm. then they have a very weird wrestling match that yep. is, I would not describe as homoerotic at all. Uh, no. It's, it's like anti-homoerotic. Yeah, but then they kiss. And the kiss is bloody, and so their lips look like they had lipstick on, but it's blood. But it's blood. And yeah. it's weird because it, this movie is essentially in black and white, but the Basically. blood is red. Yes, <laughs> and it pops, and you're like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I know it's like a prerequisite of basically any movie about closeted homosexuality they that you must have wrestle. to punch each other before you eventually kiss. make out. It's a trope at this point. Oh, yeah. I love it. So when they started wrestling, I was like, oh, yeah. I do. We like all it. know where this is going to lead. I will always buy into well, it. I don't think this is that. I mean, I'm not saying that I really want to like find this scene sexy, but no, it, yeah. it's, it doesn't feel um intimate. It just kind of feels like agree. they don't know what they're doing. This is probably because they didn't have any rehearsal Any time. choreography. And Clinton's like, let me show you boys how to wrestle. I don't know. You just get in there and you do it. I once tussled with a fucking horse. <laughs> Uh, no, I agree. It's it should have been one of the stronger beats, I guess. Like they do kiss though. They do kiss, but like, it's also they like kiss. It's such an awkward, weird. Kiss. It's very straight guys kissing. Yeah, like you don't buy any of like like that's I guess the thing is like I think maybe because you have two straight men really <laughs> trying to by give, Eastwood. trying to give like a really queer performance and like be in love. It's supposed to, you know you're really supposed to buy into this this love story that is like transcended ages for the two men and you don't really like you it, they just don't have a lot of emotional connection with each other like their chemistry isn't amazing other than when they're younger i was gonna say i think that the chemistry is pretty good when they're younger it's although the younger and then it fades off i do think that army hammer gives it's <laughs> army hammer gives a better performance when they're younger in my opinion in terms of like that chemistry yeah. than dicaprio does oh for sure and then it gets totally swapped it's mm. so Again, when, I really do blame the makeup. When it they looks, get old, it's really hard. It's really like just 
awful. And I would love to see two actors in their 70s or 80s. Huh, Clint Eastwood self-insert. Let's oh go. Oh my God. Like I would Clint love. Clint Eastwood as Hoover. <laughs> I would love to see that. Yeah, I As agree. opposed to what they actually did. Yeah. Because it's just so stiff. Like literally Lit- so Literally stiff. doesn't move a muscle. And really uncomfortable. And it doesn't feel like they have any um, connection to each other anymore. And I think that like seeing them when they were older and kind of how their relationship has progressed because it seems like they've kind of made peace with the fact that they still we'll love each other together, even though yeah. like like they don't live together or anything right. like that um it feels like they've made peace with it right but we don't see them make up or anything again it's well fine. i think that's also the thing is like it jumps it so jumps much in time like, okay, so that I, you're just making these connections i, I yeah. guess they've like made their peace with it right. um which i think i would have liked to have like not to be like i need things telegraphed but i think a scene where you have two closeted men having to discuss these things and like right. figure out like how to get by right and like i always want you to be part of my life right yeah like i think that's interesting and like there isn't a lot that talks about that or like talks about the conversations that you would have like so much of these like queer period piece stories are always about like these two people in hiding then they get caught they and someone dies be together right <sighs> but like if they are able to be together what are the implications of that? What is your day-to-day life like? Like, how do you feel going forward, especially at this time where homophobia, like, we're not homophobia, we're being gay is illegal. Yeah. Like, how does that weigh on you? Is it also, it's mostly illegal because of all the fear and practices that you are Again, doing. you did this to yourself. Right. I, I, I do also love the idea of being like, we have chosen to live apart, but we're not necessarily pining for each other because we see each other all the time. Every day. And like, what, how did that work out? Right. Um. Yeah. And I think that, again, it's a really good line i don't love how it's delivered because there's just like too much bullshit so much fucking makeup working but uh the line where hoover's like the reason that i was sweating when you came in to interview is that i knew immediately that you would be like the most important person and i would never feel that way i had never felt that way about anyone and that i never would and i was like damn right yeah it's except impactful he's talking but through, through makeup. five layers of latex waking up in the middle of the night with a scream with him over my head like a demon <laughs> army hammer does look so much worse though again i feel bad yeah, it it's does. just it's not it's not a good makeup job i think it also becomes repetitive at the part towards the end with like the old makeup and scenes like it does feel like a repeating of beats like where he's getting the injections he's watching tv and like mm-hmm. things are going like it's sort and of the same like, thing like three times and you're like the breakfast scene what and are the we doing scene yeah when they're both older super similar yeah it just becomes a little monotonous and which is frustrating because there are parts that are moving with a little bit of a click yeah i agree um i agree i agree and i think that army hammer is you know again he's the worst irl but i do really really like his performance in the younger sections because he has the heart eyes thing going on it's pretty well it's sort of man from uncle meets like call me by your name call me by your name it is <laughs> well you know it's what I mean? so rare that he, that i think that like again he didn't have the longest career in the world because i assume he will never act in anything no, ever again tensures. but he mostly plays like domineering people yeah obviously so it's kind of interesting to see him as like a sub <laughs> twink coded yes <laughs> whatever no, yeah. you want to call it he's the one who's like i really admire you and like i love you right and Hoover's he the one like that kind of yeah. has to be like, shit, I have a thing for this guy. Right. And um, Hoover has to also flex his power constantly over him of because course. of his power complex. Like he can't have any other male above him. Right. Which is also interesting. Fellas, is it gay to ask this man you just met to be your second in command for, for life? the rest of your life? 
fellas fellas this just yeah I, I think it's so i don't know i guess it does make sense but the fact that there's still so much quote-unquote speculation around yeah. the real hoover's sexuality and what he was like into just doesn't make sense to me no, i mean i think he bequeathed his estate to this man i think there's an i mean like that's the thing i think there's so much I think it's like factual at this point. I don't think that like it even needs to be like a debate, you know, which is so. But it still is considered that, a debate, which is that's what's so frustrating. Where it's like yeah. when there's it's like that that classic thing that we've talked about, where it's you know an older period piece or whatever, where like Louisa May Alcott was she gay or not, you know, and it's like well, duh, yes, oh, yeah. but it's like you can't say it for sure despite all the evidence really glad that you mentioned louisa may alcott because i was thinking when i was reading up on hoover about how it was like part of the debate is was he gay or was he just not interested in anyone Mm. and formed like a very close kind of like intimate but not necessarily sexual like relationship with this man and it's like homoromantic asexual go off i guess but that is kind (laughs) of the that's kind of the same thing with louisa may alcott where it was like she was not interested in anyone we talked about in the little woman episode where it's like does this mean during this time period when you're pulling from like this is what we think we know from the historical archives were you just interested in something that wasn't available to you or were you not interested in general yes you're never really gonna know exactly it's a spectrum no i think it's a good point (laughs) to bring up but it's like that thing but there's like also so much that we do know about him and so then the things that they bring on is like factual or so fascinating and like all the different portrayals of hoover like in i guess like the public in general like all you know he's like one of the most fucking portrayed character characters humans in like cinema history like is he really or not like but he's like if you just go through like times on screen even like references like he's in bad times at the el royale for like a phone call and like there's the call at the end of like being the ricardos where like the call to hoover is like the big victory you know what i mean it's like he's just constantly popping up just because obviously he was so pervasive through this time period so he's going to then be in all of these things you know well he's a really excellent like boogeyman figure oh for sure because like you said he could destroy you with right the the click of a button (laughs) with one phone call because of all his wiretaps and his crazy secret files and stuff like that so i think he's an excellent kind of like what's what's a reverse deus ex machina like someone who comes in and makes everything (laughs) bad villain ex machina (laughs) yeah basically uh did you ever see seaberg that like Kristen? no i actually haven't i want because i was like obviously like he basically led to her death or whatever. And I was like, I would love to, I need to like see that. It did like lead me down another thing where I'm like, do I just want to like watch Hoover being evil and like his evil portrayals again? Cause he's in public enemies, which I recently Oh, of watched. course he has to be in of public course. enemies. And I think, oh God, I think it's like, I forget who's playing him, but it's someone good. Let me cross check. I think that this is maybe why it's so difficult to make a biopic about Hoover because he had his fingers in so many pies and it's really difficult to try to focus in on every single thing that he was involved with and his political and personal motives for each. Okay. Yes. The first portrayal of Hoover was in 1941, which is crazy on a Looney Tunes short. But then he's been portrayed, like, if you just, like, go, it's just lists. Like, Martin Sheen, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, yeah. Uh, fucking Man in the High Castle, Genius, Selma. Like, all of these constant fucking performances. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And, I mean, it's great because he kind of looks like your basic old white guy. You just looked so excited. Billy Crudup plays him in Public Enemies. Billy Crudup married kinda to hot. Naomi Watts, 
who's fucking in this movie. <laughs> I love Billy Crudup I so love much. Billy Crudup, yeah. Oh my god, he's the best. He's great. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, it's very difficult, I think, to make him the center of a movie, especially when, like we said, you're kind of trying to have your cake and, and eat it, it too. too. Yeah. Um, and I feel a little bad for Leo, but not that bad. And they honestly should have had. I feel like so much of the marketing around this was like the courtroom scenes. Right. Watch Leo scream at people. You all love it. There's like and two. It's not that. Yes. One. The maybe the poster is like him yelling in the him courtroom into a mic. Like, <laughs> like this is not the movie. It's not the movie at all. It's no. A pretty serious kind of just like it's just sit going back yeah. and eat your vegetables biopic like a two hour 10 minute fucking biopic yeah, yeah it's long it I, moves though it's it's yeah it's pretty covers a, a lot of ground i mean i love the scene at the end with nixon like nixon also famously great person in american history i love that they give nixon the fuck oh that's so funny that's what the line i was I like, oh no, sorry no just say it it's so good because nixon, i don't remember what it is uh i, I was just like oh no it's so good because oh uh, yeah nixon goes uh cocksucker yeah that old cocksucker when he dies which rules and then he immediately goes to like storm hoover's office to get all the stuff like that is a great dynamic where you have these two people these two insecure men who are so scared of losing power that they will do anything and like the the intersection again i think it's that thing where it's like i just want to see there's just so many little micro stories and things within his life that would make such fascinating movies and then it's just frustrating where you end up with something that is just so big yeah. and a little broad yeah and it's you know neither can live while the other survives to that i mean there's a lot of kind of like um i don't know i guess i was surprised how little kind of like political dirt was unearthed mm, in this I movie agree. i assume there would be more references there's obviously like the jfk having affairs left and right reference shocking it's shocking um my favorite is obviously the eleanor roosevelt that, comment i was waiting for you to say it's that the yeah. best that's the only time where you hear him talk about other gay or queer sexuality, people yes. right like sexuality as a concept outside of himself right where he's like oh my god this is so crazy i was trying to blackmail fdr for his wife having affairs with men turns out it she's was a fucking woman women. yes that's cr- and then he's like this is so funny and then moves on <laughs> right that's that's what's so weird and i think that that's a good moment yeah um because it's saying something and again it this is kind of a movie that is enigmatic on how hoover feels about other people in general and maybe why he's doing what he's doing uh you don't get a lot of insight into basically like the demons that he's fighting right well i mean it's i think the scene with judy dench is like pretty much like the summation of it where it's just like internalized homophobia homophobia. and fear of yourself yeah yeah and i mean the scene after judy dench dies when he goes and puts on her clothes it's so interesting where that's like the most rumor milly thing obviously it could be true or not but it's just an interesting one-to-one to to include i think they probably if they were going to include it which I assume they were. It's so sensationalist. Right. Um, it's the best way to do it, probably, where it's like, this is also about his grief right. and like so him processing grappling trauma. with the internalized yeah. homophobia that his mother like pushed on him for right. his entire life. If I was a politician, I would simply be normal. Right. It would be kind of cool. Just <laughs> if to I be was normal. a politician, I would simply not commit crimes. Mm. Mm. Hoover faces Brooke and he's like, I'm shaking in my boots. I actually don't understand. I think like that was probably not to get too real. That was probably the most like, holy fucking shit. Adulthood is a slap in the face is when I went from being like politicians or people who make laws to being like 
there is no way anyone who has good intentions would go into politics right. and stay there. Yep. Right? Isn't that nice when you grow up and you're like, oh, politician's cool. And then you realize, oh, everyone there is bad. Right. Where it's like any goodwill that you and good intentions that you have going into politics are either going to get beaten out of you mm-hmm. or you're going to have to compromise your morals so much mm-hmm. that it's not going to exist Yep. after a period of time. Realizing that, I was like... Wow. And, and anyone yeah. that wanted to go into politics, like, very, very badly, for the most part, like, has the worst of intentions. Yes. And I, find, I think that's actually fascinating in this movie where he, oh, the people he looks up to and sort of, like, the lessons that he gets in the beginning part of this movie while he's trying to figure out what his name is or whatever. But <laughs> the people that he looks up to and how that sort of warps him or, like, how he sees that he thinks he can improve upon things. Yeah. Like, that's sort of fascinating when you're so young and naive and you think that you can change the system and be the change you want to see in the world, you know? Right. I like that he's not too idealistic. Agreed. Where he's, like, he wants power, he wants importance, and he right. wants to crack down on crime, which right. is a, a sure. bad motive. It, it's it's a good, bad motive right. for, for him. Yes. Um. At the very end, when um we get to see, like, a glimpse into, like, the first house that he's ever lived in alone, yeah. basically, he has a framed photo of Eisenhower, and he has framed photos of his mother, mm-hmm, of, course, of course, and, like, a weird shrine to her jewelry, right. and a statue of Adonis or an Adonis-like well, figure, which I thought was a great touch. I That was my favorite one. We're like, ah, of course you do, sir. Of course you do, sir. I do have a question for you, though. Okay. Like... Stepping back, looking at this as like representation at large, how <laughs> oh, God. how do you feel that it does in terms of like what it's necessarily saying or like about like this sort of representation in like movies like this? Because I think it is a fascinating thing where it is, you know, as we're in the biopic slog and I think with Monroe coming out and, you know, with all of these movies, it's just fascinating as we get more gay biopics, how certain ones approach it. Like where, as we talked about before, Rocket Man versus Bohemian Rhapsody, where Rocket right. Man does it great, and Bohemian Rhapsody is atrocious. By and the I, way, I assume that the blonde, that blonde, is not going to have anything about Marilyn's bisexuality. Probably not. No, or anything about her. You know, anything that's not heterosexual. Right. Maybe I'll be surprised, but I don't think so. I haven't read the book. I haven't either. Yeah. I mean, it's like nine hundred pages. So <laughs> I've read Joyce Carol Oates' tweets, though. <laughs> wish you hadn't. <laughs> really makes me wish you Hoover hadn't. on Twitter. Oh. Uh, I feel like he would stay off. Oh, he, for sure. Yeah, he no, hates he would incriminating. Not, he would not tweet shit. Yeah. But I mean, you we do not want to see this man with lurking. the power of the internet at his disposal. Right. He has a finsta though. <laughs> what we're not going to do is that. Um, but no, sorry. Just to bring it back. Well, how do you yes. how do you yes, feel yes, about yes. like this Here's the on thing. like the larger queer scale? There is um, this book that's coming out that's uh, nonfiction relatively nonfiction sure. called bad gays a homosexual history by hugh lemmy and ben miller who actually run a podcast um apologies if i mispronounced either of those names i'm really going off the cuff here but love it. um it's basically a look at a popular like past figures who were queer mm. and also sucked not necessarily like strictly villains but not complicated complicated and people. usually yeah. kind of bad queer people because so many dead queer people just get elevated to like you were talking about with rocket man and bohemian rhapsody exactly. even though elton john is obviously still alive <laughs> this elton john we're fucking coming for historical you historical queer figures this idea of like they nevertheless they persisted, persisted yes. despite the fact that they were gay exactly. and That's all what I about, about yeah. kind of like the struggle with a capital s yeah. of being gay and i think that Literally, if we had to sum up the thesis of what we want from this podcast in one sentence, it would be more 
bad gays, more complicated portrayals of right. queer characters, more dimension. Right. In, um, that for, in that for then not to have people be like, oh, if you're gay, you're bad. You're bad. And like being yeah. able to actually have the yeah. critical thinking capacity to look at that. Yeah. yeah. Which is why if I was in Dustin Lance Black's shoes, I completely understand why J. Edgar Hoover is a fascinating oh my God, topic yeah. to write about. Because first of all, you're like, like he's a pull like Dustin Lance Black has a political screenwriting background. He's probably the best person to tackle something like this. And like, it's so interesting because here's a man who for all intents and purposes fits into the stereotype that closeted homosexuals are homophobic mm -hmm. because of like internalized like shame. The thing that we hate to talk about because right. it sucks and it you know says that in order to be homophobic you secretly have to be gay yourself oh my god but like he is that yeah we can you know infer that very easily and he was a terrible person and like it's possible to portray him as a terrible person and also have this relationship that kind of like yeah. ruined a lot of his humanity agreed be the emotional through line of a movie without really in my opinion making you feel sympathetic i never felt sympathetic for never in this movie a couple of times i was like mm, cinema but i was never like oh Jay Edgar Hoover. Hoover. i agree yeah so i guess i pretty much really like it yeah no in i think in terms of representation no i think yeah. i think that what both that book and I think what we are saying, I think is an important sort of like thing in our podcast and in general, I think within popular culture. And like, I think there is an important conversation to be had there because I do think that like people don't like to interrogate people who may have been bad in yeah, general. Yeah. And then I don't think in people also like then if they are queer or from some sort of like oppressed minority, people then have like a fear of being critical about those people because they had to struggle um, right. you know obviously against like these things but people can struggle and also be bad people yeah and i think that that's fascinating and i mean like we talk about it like obviously love when there's like bad gay rep on screen because it means that they're human and i think like this movie and movies in general i just think it we need more people to be having conversations about these things and like interrogating history and like what people meant to people and like how they might have impacted things and just because someone's you know queer doesn't mean like they're bad but also then like having the trust in the movie going population yeah to be able to think about these things larger which is scary because like just even being online it's somewhat but scary at times you we know we need to free ourselves from no like, i know the yeah. idea of what the the people yeah think. thanks yes yeah i think you actually put it really well just because characters and real people are queer doesn't mean that they're bad but just because they're bad doesn't mean they're not queer right like like it's not uh, a one it's not a direct corollary at yeah, all yeah a lot of the, you know our episodes are tackling entirely fictional stories and subjects but right, sometimes exactly. they're not and i think that i don't know don't tr I, neither of us ever want to try to push like the the worst parts of like queer history um or you know representation or whatever like under the rug in order to be like look we're all good yeah you should we're good people that you should care about right. you should you should care about queer people and queer stories and queer characters both real and not real no matter like how good they how morally how good morally great they are they yeah. are this is yeah. not like a you know, this is not, I would not consider this movie like a win, but also I kind of maybe would consider it 
a win. I would, yeah. I in mean, I, other ways, despite what we said about Leo's performance, I do think it is a big thing for him being one of the largest stars of all time yeah. to tackle a specifically queer story i think is huge and i really do think that like even though he never went to do it again and even though it might have been a great performance i think the step forward i think is a good thing even though a lot of people then view that within their confines of a career is like oh i'm taking on a gay this is the character gay role right, like, that i'm the gonna queer do one, right versus yeah. it being just one of many roles that they might take on but for i think leo in general i think it is sort of a big thing just because he is such a big star so I think like him doing it was definitely an interesting yeah. you know step for Hollywood even though the movie fucking fails and yeah, this does movie nothing a, a so. huge bomb. But yeah, I think it's like there are very much kind of like the the last age of modern movie stars, the Leos yeah. and the Brad Pitts and like whoever else. Honestly, right. you can put Clint Eastwood into that category for too sure. of like men on screen yeah. being men. And I think that that is very different to who we have now but i think i don't know something sort of similar let's just say that it's like tomorrow it's announced that chris evans is playing i don't know roy Cohn. <laughs> um <laughs> in something like this i feel like that would kind of be the same no yeah, thing, actually, where it's yeah. like he's mccarthy for yes for male movie stars to kind of like tackle the idea of the public's view of them mm. and their masculinity should not be a risk but is considered a risk and how they approach it like makes a huge difference again i just you know i don't think this is a bad performance by any means but i do think that leo feels a little lost here and it's weirdly it's only because he's usually so good that it doesn't really feel like a fully commanding committed performance it feels a little bit like i'm gonna do the best with like what i was given and just go for it um yeah i am hung up on you saying chris evans uh, as Roy uh, Cohen or because whatever. Then my, my brain went to like who's a good McCarthy and if you get like Michael Stuhlbarg and you see the two of them like playing oh. opposite each other call it the lavender the lavender pear. scare let's call it the lavender scare why I want a movie about the lavender scare that's it's what I want that is yeah. actually what I want yeah it's not oft discussed in movies yeah I wonder why it can be a combo red scare and lavender scare movie but there hasn't what, been like what does a... that color end up being like? <laughs> <laughs> hmm pink right like the pinkish scare <laughs> gross F- no fuchsia fuchsia, yeah, mm, fuchsia. that's better well, fuchsia one le- one word fuchsia there isn't like a big kind of like oscar movie about like specifically the red no. scare is well, there you... from the political point of view i don't think so am i, I mean, missing anything all i keep thinking about is trombo but for the oh, communist trombo. POV, where yeah. i'm writing in my bathtub and also like i am the underdog right. yeah yes. uh, there's no kind of again it's very easy to make those men out to be villains yes. which is why j edgar is kind of an insane choice for like the protagonist exactly. of a biopic yeah. but i'm i kind of like it right no it's, it's a it's a fucking swing it's yeah. a swing which i don't think we get a lot in biopics like yeah. i want more swings where people are like this is a bad person let's fucking do their story yeah and you know? probably the most kind of like textually quote-unquote sympathetic moment is when he's crying in his office yeah. and naomi watts comes in and she's like mm, sorry good? about that and hoover says do you think that I kill everything that I love? Yeah. And it's like, oh, sir. Sir, yes, you do. But again, I don't think that it's like when I, that moment is the moment that I think like really stuck with me where I was like, that's a really good line and a yeah. good summation of this man's issues. But yes. I wasn't like, oh, 
Hearts. Oh, oh. Hoobie, pour one out for him. Your life is like, so hard. Again, wah, wah. Right. Mm, Sucks sorry. to have made all the choices that you made, you piece of shit. Sucks for you. And I don't feel bad for Tulsa. I don't feel for any of these people. Oh, absolutely people. not. Naomi Watts, love you, queen, but girl, burn in hell. I mean, truly a great performance. I could not She's believe so how impressed good. I was. Yeah. God, I love her so much. I wish she did better. Thanks. Hey. You can all she can always turn it around. Oh, for maybe sure. after we like finish the crusade to get Michelle Williams an Oscar, we can move on to Naomi Watts. Mm. Okay, but we still got Amy Adams. Amy Adams is our here. first crusade. Yeah, that's our that's our true night bitch. It's coming. She's gonna say night night bitch to not have it an Oscar. Hopefully, I'm I'm worried. I think though. that movie's not gonna. Oh, I think it's gonna be great, but I don't I think, think it's, it's gonna be showy enough for the Oscars. Exactly. That's my, that's my yes. uh, I think yep. it's gonna be actually like artsy and good. And I the think Oscars it's, are gonna be like. I eh. think it's just gonna be like a beautiful day in the neighborhood, which is a good movie and good movie. not good enough for the Oscars. So. Well, I mean, Tom Hanks did get Should've, that nom, but did he get the W? No, but he didn't need he the W. He doesn't need the W. Yeah. He doesn't need the W. I do think next time Amy Adams gets nominated for it's gonna be a, win. a role, she has to win. Yeah. Like my God, enough. But I think she was up first for this role. Yeah, actually. she was. Yeah, she would. I mean, Naomi Watts, is, Naomi Watts is perfect for this role. I agree. In yeah. my opinion, I think that if you have Amy Adams in here, you're like Amy it's Adams. It's too much Amy Adams. It's, yeah. it's it's not enough Amy Adams. I mean, really. it's it's yeah. hard to distinguish outside of her. Yeah. Like it's when you see Amy Adams, you draw the mind. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also you're like. I know she can, not that I don't think Naomi Watts can do more than what she's doing in this movie, but she gives a perfectly understated, like, supporting performance. Yes. Yeah. Well, Brooke, how did this movie do? We said it already. Real it bad. Failed. Well, how much money? <laughs> um, did real bad. So this movie cost $35 million to make. Um, Which is insane. Yeah. Can, wait, can I actually? Very respectable, I wrote actually. this down. The movies, so that's. One, an extremely cheap budget. Yeah. It, he well, was, hey, only one take. One take wonder. One, one take One Eastwood. take Clint over here. <laughs> um, he, the schedule was probably like 25 days, if that. I have it for you. Okay. 39-day shoot, 128-page script, which is crazy. That's bananas. That's moving at that a is rate that three is... three pages a day. Like, Clint it's is just usually, fucking going. For, for those who don't know, it's usually between one and a half to two pages a day at best. Right. Like if you're trying to move it along at a clip. And Clint is if you're David Fincher, you're shooting like two ways. Two lines. Page a day. Um <laughs> wow, that's three pages a day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And Leo slashed his rate from twenty million to two. Which is kind of cool. <laughs> that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. So he really wanted this. Yeah. Which is cool. I really respect it. Again, it's kind of a, a soup of, of issues. Did you see the Letterbox review from Sarah where her review is, this is the only gay movie I've seen with Naomi Watts where she isn't the one doing the gay? <laughs> this is true. This is so true. Incredible review. Oh, yeah. It's the other thing uh, Naomi Watts, queen, right? of, queen, queen of, of queer. Queen of sapphic roles. Yeah. So anyway, $35 million production budget, which again is very respectable. For so, a period like this? Here's the thing. Maybe if it had been more expensive, this would have been even more of a flop because it didn't really make back its budget. But at right. least the studio wasn't like, oh, my God, we spent $80 million oh, on no. this thing. But again, the magic of a mid-budget movie, baby. I know. Good shit. So it made $37 million domestic and 84 worldwide. Yeah. Not good. I cannot believe that a Leonardo DiCaprio movie opened in November 2011, prime Oscars lot season <sighs> at number five. What did it? Oh, do we and, know like, what it opened did against? Not, yes. Yes. It opened against... Huh. God, what a stressful box office. Coming in at number one, Immortals. 
What? Who can forget? Wow. Um, coming in at number two, worst movie of all time, Jack and Jill. Coming in at number three, which was number one the previous week, Puss in Boots and Tower Heist at number four. That is such a bad lineup. And a Leonardo DiCaprio-led vehicle uh, opened opens at number, number five. five in um, almost 2,000 theaters. So it opened like mid- No one wanted yeah. to see this movie. Absolutely not. Like, oh God, Harold and Kumar, Christmas, That's, Paranormal Activity 3, f- the Footloose is Reboot, in here. Whatever. Yeah. Jesus, oh, what a cursed time. The Ides of March. Oh, God, it hurts. It I, hurts. That Ides of March poster is so burned, burned in my brain. Same. It's a great poster. It's such a good poster. Unfortunately, not a very good movie. I've never seen the movie, um, but I've well, only seen the poster. The thing is, it's been, a, it's been a while. I feel like if I watch it now, I'd be like, masterpiece. Yeah. I would oh, God, give I would my left this. arm yeah. for this film today because it is kind of just like, what if there was is a, political, it just like thriller? a political thriller? Yeah. Yeah. Who's the politician? George Clooney's the politician and Gosling is like an up and coming staffer. Cool. I'm pretty sure. And th- now I'm like, wait. Am I gonna watch this wait, movie wait, wait. tonight? Should we watch it? And like, do you think it's gay? Like, like a little. I bit? mean, look. I think. Do you any- think we should put it on the list? I think there's anything. Gosling. Gosling has a little touch of one of the. Best. I love him. We I should him so proactively put Barbie on the. Oh, Barbie's. We're already covering that whenever it comes out. <laughs> Eventually. We're going to do we're, a, a Barbie Oppenheimer back and back. Opening weekend. We will cover it at a later date. I don't want anyone to get too excited. That's a lot. That's a lot to stake on the Barbie movie. Barbie and Oppenheimer. <laughs> a double Dual bill. Dual bill. Okay. It fails. So yeah, that is how much money J. Edgar made. No, noms. not a lot. No, not, not even. Well, duh, not the makeup, but like not even like a technical nod here yeah. or there. Sometimes the makeup category is so thin that you can kind of like sneak in. I actually want to see though, because that is one where the nods are, or the, the number of it, noms is flexible. It's not even getting anything. Like I'm looking at it right now. They don't even have like the AARP. It doesn't even get that nom, which like these types of movies usually get, I know. you know, it did, it did win AF, it was placed in AFI's top 10 films of this year and also the top 10 films from the National Board of Review. Sure. That is about it. Oh, and uh, Leo and Army both sa- snagged SAG noms. Yeah. So. But like. Deserved? No. I don't know. No. But like, so I was looking and I was like, let's look at best makeup from this year. God, what a- what a Curse terrible year. year. <laughs> what um, do we got? Uh, so we have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two. Sure. And Albert Nobbs losing oh to the Iron Lady. Oh, fuck. It's that really year. Really rough. Can the you... only good movie, truly the only movie that I really, really love from this year is Girl with the Dragon can Tattoo. You, can you run through the best picture noms? You want the best picture I just, noms? I just have to relish in this fucking mess of a year. It really hurts. Like, it really hurts. Okay, so coming in... Mm-hmm. As the winner is, of course, the artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, which beat out the Descendants, extremely loud and incredibly close. Cursed, cursed, super cursed. The Help, also cursed. Hugo, pretty good. Good movie. Midnight in Paris, also cursed. Moneyball, great film, no <laughs> notes. The Tree of Life, this great is... film, no notes. <laughs> and War Horse. Yep. Also, I mean, cursed, but also it's not awful. But like, how? How are you? The Academy not going to give Moneyball or the Tree of Life best picture over like the artist like well, the Tree yeah. of Life is like, one of the most seminal like movies and pieces of art ever made and yeah. then also Moneyball is like executing on such a high level like what are we doing here great movie but like you know for me personally there's usually at least one or two movies from a year where I'm like I will go absolutely yeah. feral the only movie that qualifies from this year is the for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo for I would me. go feral for Tree of Life. Three movies in there. Of course. Moneyball, Tree of Life, and Girl with Drag Tattoo. Yeah. Sorry. God, what a cursed year. 
Yeah. Damn. It's really bad. So. Anyway. Um, we know that this movie made not much money. But. And how many people have seen it on Letterboxd? Because I'm sure as fuck that it does not have a lot of reviews. Not that many. And you can tell that this is definitely suffering from kind of like recency bias. Because most of the uh, reviews are like, hmm, this film was kind of gay. Or, hmm, this film should have been a little more gay. <laughs> uh, but only 51 people have seen it. And they're like 51. 51 K. And there are like 2 K reviews for right. it. Do you want to guess the average? I do. I don't think it's going to be high. Brooke, I'm going to go with like a 3-1. It's a 2-8. Oh, wow. Even worse than I thought. <laughs> Most people give it two and a half stars, which is, uh, I think, I exactly think, what I would give uh, this right movie. Right area, yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not great. great. Not, not that bad. Should have been better. But not great. Yeah. Definitely should have been better. Oh, well. No great loss. Um, we won't worry too much about it. And, Brooke, though, where does this land on the queer quadrant for you? Okay. This one's actually kind of interesting. I'm yeah. going to give it... Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it three stars. Okay, yeah. A solid three. Little, little better than, like, the classic down the middle. I just, it kind of, like, gives you what you want out of the the gay relationship. Yeah. I don't think it's a great movie. I don't know. Like, that just feels right to me. Yeah. I, I think that if I tried to explain myself, I would make it worse. I agree. But it I, feels I think, right. I agree. No, I mean, I think that it's sort of one of these things. that we, I think we t- sort of talked about it when we were talking about, like, the representation of it, where I don't think it's bad or good. Or not bad where it's i think it's doing something that i wish more things did yeah which i think yeah. is good i do think though that it doesn't tap into so much because here's the thing i think if it was a made-up relationship or like a made-up like fictional person right. and this was the relationship i would feel like okay better interesting i know what you mean but, but there's because so much. there's so much going on with him in real life that I think it just feels a little undercooked and somewhat frustrating that it wouldn't include some of the other things or at least dig in more to the context surrounding his queerness. So I think I do have to dock it for that. So I think I'm going to also come in actually at a three because I do like that it is this. I just wish that it was delivering more on what it was trying to execute. So, and also I can't in my right mind give J. Edgar Hoover something of high marks. So I I agree. (laughs) We know what's up. Um, That's that. Three stars across the board. Love to see it. Um. Okay. So we did it. We did it. Wow. Um. How do you feel? Great. I mean, it was kind of my idea to do this. Uh, I liked it. Jordan. Every time we have kind of like a solo app slot that we need to fill, or we're just like in the mood. What should we do for a solo app? We we pick usually movies that we've sent out to a lot of people that, that no one wants has to selected. do. Because we're like, okay, that means that we want to do it, but nobody has taken us up on doing it. <laughs> and Jay Edgar, we send out to basically Everyone? everybody because we think that this movie is really would be really yes. interesting to talk about. Yes, it was, and it was. Um, so. We, but people, we did it. I think people also in their right mind are probably like, mm, I'm okay, thank you. Up next, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. I, we have to cover that thing. I have been waiting. Why does no <laughs> one want to cover that movie? Guests, former or future, if, if you're, you're listening, listening, please come cover I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry with us because like I we I we need to every, discuss it. Like not to expose us on main, but like we literally do it to every guest. Every single We're guest. like, guys, what if you want to cover I now pronounce you like, and everyone like i now say no uh, no like there are some heavy hit like 
Birds of Prey. Right. We've had no bites No on, one wants it. Which is great. There's another like deranged one that we always send out there, that no one ever says yes I to. I know. And it's shocking. <laughs> so anyway, if you're listening and you want to talk about some unhinged movies, don't be afraid. We're super Just fun. come on board. Just Let's do on. it. It's do J. Edgar. Okay. Well, hey, if you want to know more about kind of like what we do on the pod or what we might be doing or have done in the past, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And we're together at Queer Quadrant. And we are also on Letterboxd at Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And you can find the podcast on Spotify, on Apple, and wherever else you get your podcast. Drop us a rate. Drop us a review. Five stars only or we'll tap your phones. I don't feel comfortable saying that. Um, maybe shoot us a subscribe if you feel like it. Uh, and you can tweet at us. Tell us what you think about political figures in Jay history. Edgar Hoover in general. Um, and maybe what you would like to see us cover in the future. And Brooke, what are we covering in the future though? Wow. I feel like I should have some, you know, triumphant yet sad music playing under this because next week is the end wow. of Q Fast, so Q Furious. Next week, we are covering F9. What do you think J. Edgar Hooper would think about F9? I truly do not want to <laughs> he get into this with you. There is not a question that I would rather answer less, less than that one. <laughs> um, but we've come to the end of our epic summer That's series. so sad. You can tune in to see how we say goodbye to the family for mm. now. Um, we'll be and back when it, X comes out. Yes, yes. And what we've learned along the way. So tune in next week for that. And Brooke, is there anything you would like to leave our Hoover heads with? Fellas, is it gay to bequeath your entire estate to your second in command? Yeah, yes. I say yes.